Welcome to the Education, Career, and Beyond podcast. We've combined life experience with young adult drive and ambition. Are you just starting to college plan? Did you finish your education and wonder, now what? Join us in this lively discussion about the topics you need to know to create the next stage of your life's dreams, careers, finances, education, and more. Brought to you by Voice for Heroes 501c3. We have some glitches today. I don't even know what that's about. Welcome to the Education Career Beyond podcast glitches and all, double talk and all. Thank you so much, Ed and Capri. As always, this is my favorite time of the week. Glad to be here. Back again. Miss well, hi to each other. Let's see if I can fix this on my end and just make sure that my Wi-Fi <clears throat> is not giving us a problem. <laughs> uh, well, hello, Capri. Right. It's nice to see you. Yeah, you too. How's it going? It's going all right. It's uh, It's been a crazy day and a crazy week, but um, that's to be expected nowadays. So I'm super excited mm-hmm. to talk. I know we had a guest scheduled and because of their travel glitches, it's just us. But us is good because us is we get to kind of chat with Capri about finishing up her first year at Purdue, coming back home, what that feels like, what she went through, how to prepare for life back at home. She's got a brother. I'm sure that's kind of fun and interesting to get reconnected with him and mom and dad. Do they want to be parents again? They're going to let you be independent, all kinds of fun stuff I can't wait to talk about. And then um, Amy did kind of a, a leadership program yesterday on communication and it's probably the thing that I think most young people need the most development on. It doesn't come natural. So we have some questions on that. So we got a little bit of a mixed bag today, yes. but I'm super excited to get into it because I think it's super important. Um, so we get to do a check-in with our favorite people. So um, Capri, hey, yeah. Amy, can we start with Capri? Is that all right? No, we have to. It's such a okay. big deal. It's like <laughs> right. our girl has just come home from the first year of college. I'm y'all for clamped over it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of weird, like doing this podcast with Capri and like she's in Indiana and now she's like right down the street for both of us. It's kind of like, but the setup is exactly the same. We're online technology at its finest, although Amy, you're having technology at its worst. So um, Capri, um, first of all, how long have you been home? A whopping three days. Three days back home. I think I just want to start with um the packing up and coming home part can you explain like what that looks like what that feels like is it a did bit it all surreal? get on the same plane wait all- hold on stop i just asked three questions at one time i did it again and i uh, swore i wasn't going to it's okay let's I, threw go a fourth with- in. <laughs> I was i had like three more i just caught myself so let's start with the the first yeah. piece which is just talk about the experience So to summarize it in one word, we got chaos. Um, I thought it was going to be way smoother than move in, which in some ways it was. But also at the same time, there's so much more to do because you have finals and you're moving out and you're packing up at the same time. And so is your roommate and the other thousand people who live in the same building as you. So that was a little chaotic. And also going there at the beginning of the school year and summer, you're a little sad, but you're also looking forward to all the new people that you're meeting versus leaving. You're like, oh, I have just spent nine months building this new community in a brand new place. 
and these are friends. It's a little different than um, making friends in high school where you're all there, you've all grown up in the same place. It's very different in, in a lot of ways that kind of allows you to find groups of people who are almost exactly like you, which is a little strange because it's like, wow, these people have the same experiences or like the same interests as I do, even though they're from 2000 miles away from where I grew up. So it's kind of bittersweet having to say goodbye, wrap it all up. And then on top of like the academic stress of finals and maybe some nerves slash excitement about looking forward to summer and going home. Yeah, that's a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's uh, what kind of blows me away, Capri, is that they don't even, these are universities been around for hundreds of years, but they're trying mm -hmm. to get you guys to cram all of that in a very small space. I'd be like, why don't you let them focus on the academics? Then we can have a proper goodbye and right. then everybody can pack up and get out of town. So how do you prioritize that? What does that look like on uh, like just the last couple, yeah. three days of that? How did you prioritize that? How did you package everything? So it just kind of went, I'll say smoothly, but that might not be the word that you would use. Well, when it came down to it, I can talk about my move out in just a minute because that was an experience. Um, but we have dead week. I'm not sure how, like, I'm pretty sure the majority of schools also have dead week, but that week was just full of studying for me. I had two in-person finals and then one that was online at the end of dead week. And then also one that was um, another one that was online during finals week. So I had lots of studying to do and that was kind of my only priority. And then just kind of as a downtime activity before bed, I was like, okay, like I'm gonna, I know I'm not gonna wear my winter clothes anymore. Like, let me pack those up. So I have these vacuum seal bags because I flew home. Um, and I just kind of tried to pack one bag a night so it was more manageable. And so that's kind of how I did that. And then I, I think I did an okay job about like work. I had to work in the mornings and then I would study in like the afternoon. And then at night I would kind of just hang out with my friends. So it was like kind of dividing up my time into work, study and play or just like hang out and whatnot and kind of have a way to relax. So I think that I would definitely maybe try and keep those boundaries a little more clear. So it didn't feel like I was studying for like 20 hours straight. Um, but yeah, and then when I actually came to it, my dad helped me move out and we were out of my dorm in like two and a half hours, which I don't know if that's like super speedy or what, but it felt like pretty speedy to me and everything that didn't have a spot, we were like, okay, let's just get in the car. I can have a spot later. Um, I'm also fortunate enough to have a storage unit with one of my other friends who happens to be from Carlsbad. So we, I just had to focus on like getting all my clothes sorted out and then the rest of everything else I kind of just sorted into little bins and put away. So, Good. Easy, so you drove back? No, I flew back. You flew. Oh yeah. my goodness. Now, my question is how long from getting from Purdue to getting into San Diego, did you immediately go back into your flip-flops? Okay. This is the most anti-California thing I think I will ever say. I don't own flip-flops. <gasps> That's it. Show's over. Yeah. Yes. It was nice working with you, Capri. We're sorry, but you just I, lost the San Diego card. I know. I'm really sorry. Um, I wear Burks, Birkenstocks, so immediately. 
Yeah. Okay, Those are very California, though. You're, you're good. <laughs> yeah. I just, I traded myself up then for different things. What was it like for you returning home after completing your first year of college, which is probably the most transformational, one of the most transformational times of your life, I would say second only to maybe the first year you become a parent. Because if there's any time that really <laughs> talks who you are and what you thought life was, it's those two things. As you reintegrate now, do you feel like you're a different person that just went back into your old room? Is it hard for you to equate to your old life and your new life in one package here just for the summer? Yeah, that's a little challenging for sure. And I think Ed touched on this a little bit when he talked about like, oh, like, are your parents going to be your parents? Are they going to be your friends? And I, it kind of feels a little bit like, oh, everyone here is asking me about how college was, but do you see me as an adult who just finished their first year of college? Or do you see like high school Capri or like younger Capri that you've grown up with and I've grown up with you? So it's kind of, an interesting thing just to see different people's expectations of like where I should be in life versus mm-hmm. where I actually am because I did just come back from college. I think the lesson in that for all of us as we are working with anyone who's just returned from college, first, second, third, or fourth year, doesn't matter, that we need to give grace and space to allow mm-hmm. to for them to, to show us who they are now. I'm not going to assume you're anything. (laughs) I want to just know who you are today, not who you were to us last year. And I think we can all do that with our loved ones that are at this really critical stage in life. That's great advice. I want to know how it was when you first saw your brother. Was that weird? Because you, I mean, I know you saw Um, him over holidays, but is that like another one of those get adjusted type of situations? I know you guys are pretty close. Yeah, I'd say like, He's really tall. He's probably like six five. And oh my god. Yeah, my brother's really, really tall. So it kind of just shocked me that I was like, Oh yeah, like I know you're this tall, but like you're actually that tall. Like he's how and I'm not a short person. I'm like five ten, five eleven. Like he dowers over me and I was like, Whoa. So that was a little just like funny moment coming back. But um, he's also getting his driver's license soon. So we've entered the era of it's not just my car. I have to share our car now. And that is definitely oh, interesting no. to navigate, especially <laughs> because he doesn't even have his license yet. So I'm like, oh, if this is just a little taste of like what's to come, we really got to figure this one out. Yes. I could see That's that smart. having its complexities. He's six foot five and not even driving yet. What vitamins <laughs> are you taking over there? All of them. <laughs> Lots of milk. Well, we are happy to have you home. And I'm really glad that you pointed out the, the, what it was like to really transition because, you know, it's again, we always go back to how Hollywood portrays it that they just show everybody like skipping, holding their box, and yay, we're home. But I'm sure there's so many mm-hmm. emotional aspects that went on as you let go of that first year and all that you've accomplished, the pride in yourself, the sadness of walking away from friends you've just met, or the new routine that you had over there, and then stepping back into an old routine, but also happy to see your friends and family here. You're going to have to continue doing this ebb and flow as that changes throughout these years. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a lot. What's, uh, we w- I want to get to Amy, but what's the first thing you did or ate just because you were home and you wanted something comfortable? Have you had that experience okay. yet? So we, when my dad came to Indiana, I said, don't come unless you bring me bean and cheese burritos. I love these mini bean and cheese burritos from Lola's. Anyone stand San Diego, North County area, you need to go to Lola's, get these bean and cheese burritos. They're my favorite thing on the planet. So I had those before I got home. But um, 
I had some Thai food and it was really good. Yes. Yeah, there we go. And of course, ice cream. Of course. Where do you get your ice cream from? Cross I locals. really like Handles. I knew she was going to say Handles. <laughs> it's so good. And I'm also a frozen yogurt girl. So um, the Yogurt Shack, Menchie's, anywhere with frozen yogurt. All right. Handles, uh, Lola's, Yogurt Shack, Menchie's, any of you want to sponsor this show now, you can see that. <laughs> you can reach out directly to Amy at voiceforheroes.org. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big Handles person. And I'll tell you, the, if for the, if you ever come to Southern California, you come on a vacation, let me tell you one thing that I love about Handles. I don't know if I've ever seen this at an ice cream place before. Is They have like a sample pack. Where oh, you can I love get, the fourth scoop sampler. Oh, you kidding me? I mean, come on. Town. You can try anything you want. And then on top of that, you can have it delivered to your house, which I, the thing, only thing I don't like about handles is it's the lines dangerous. are ridiculous. But yeah, I'll have it, I'll have it delivered. In fact, now I think I know what I'm doing this evening. Thanks. Well, I'm going to make Capri really feel better because host confession over here, since Capri is confessed, she doesn't wear flip-flops. My confession is that I, I don't say you've never been to handles. I don't you like know. it. So Amy was really nice working with you. I wish you the best <laughs> on your endeavors. Yeah, I'm a savory, not sweet. She had me with the Thai food. That's awesome. Yeah. But I'm savory, not sweet. Yeah. That hurts so, my heart a little bit. Yeah. Broken. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. We just um, lost the sponsorship. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a, yeah, thanks for ruining that. I'm I'm an ice cream snob. When it's a good ice cream, I I I put myself in a bad situation. The other night I went on a yeah. Ben and Jerry's deal where I got Incredible. two pints and I like um Stephen Colbert has uh, an ice cream yes! flavor that I love. Love that. Americone, Americone, Americone Dream is hands down my favorite. So it's a great by the way, one. I gotta someday on a different show remind me to tell you about how I my wife and I submitted a video to Stephen Colbert's show for a small uh business booster bump thing yes. that we did. It, he we was recorded doing one. Yeah, yeah. We I recorded one. So um one day we'll talk about oh, why I did it. Next and week. All that stuff. <laughs> I have my Stephen Colbert t-shirt I can wear for one of our broadcasts when we discuss that as well. So yeah, incredible. I, I love Stephen Colbert. I do uh, okay. What's that? All right. It's potato. <laughs> so let's dive into this Amy thing. You know what's funny is that we know a lot about Capri. I've been talked in like a guest on this show like three times on, on this podcast. Yeah. I don't think we really dove into Amy and what she's we all did about. What? Like we, well, yeah, we but that was that. a little bit of I sing a little and I do this a little. We really dig in. So, Amy, proper introduction. Um, we I know a little bit of we know a little bit about your past. For those of you who don't, that means you have to go back and listen to every episode of at least season one because you'll find back it to in back. There. Yeah, you have you have to binge. Uh, binge no list. breaks. Yep. But what I really want to know and focus in on is what you do now because I mm -hmm. find what you do now fascinating, and I think. We've got this piece of the puzzle with the nonprofit that you've always been a part of, which is allows this show to come on the air. Yes. But I think professionally, I think it's really good for people to know what you do um, to work with individuals and businesses to achieve their goal. Can you tell us a little bit Thank about you. that? Yes. Well, after 20 years with experience as a sales manager and, and sales leader, a recording touring artist, a former national TV host, business development specialist. I now help professionals with effective communication and self-awareness, branding and messaging to help level up their visibility, their opportunities, and hopefully 
especially for nonprofits, their chance to make a bigger impact in the world. So communications has become my life because I learned by doing. I didn't train for this. It's trained me. But it was every job that I had. When I started in sales, I didn't know what I was doing yet. I stepped into a company that I didn't fully understand the product and mortgage at that time. But I learned that effective communication was going to help me gain that business. I learned how to ask questions, to be a good active listener, to read people's body language, to learn the art of messaging and getting to the point quicker and more effectively. And it allowed me to go into top sales. And then when I went into touring full-time as a recording artist, when we had the Great Recession in 07, I had no choice. It was either sink or swim. So I went out there and asked for the business as a recording artist, but there's a lot of talent. As an artist, as a musician, I could sing, but how do I set myself apart as a professional? And that's where that difference was with a business plan and a communications plan and a PR plan in motion. And that's what allowed me to launch onto those big stages and become spokesperson for the American veterans and learn how to present myself all the time. And even when we were touring for my, my team and my band, there's an art of really knowing who you are and how you represent yourself at all times. And so I would let them know the second we pull in that parking lot, you represent all of us collectively and we represent the American veterans. So everything you do, how you carry your face, how you walk, how you greet people, how you interact with each other. Don't cuss at yourself as you're walking to the men's room in between our, our sound check because you're being watched. And when we put on our, our own responsibility of how we're representing ourselves, it really makes a difference at how you represent yourself as a professional in any industry. And I work with teams, businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs of all businesses. I work with nonprofits on finding that message, on communicating effectively. And one of the favorite things that we actually start with, and you guys are going to laugh at this, but it's my number one pet peeve, is the filler words. Because we don't read correspondence. We don't open an email. We don't read a book that starts every sentence with, um, yeah, so, but why in our communications are we doing this? We're so excited about AI, artificial intelligence, and we can talk about this. It's great that we have chat GBT, but can we also speak for ourselves? Because at some point you're going to be in front of an audience, even if it's a podium at a work event where you have to introduce somebody, maybe you're a guest coming up for us on this amazing show knowing how to present yourself and those talking points is so critical. And we have lost the art of really effective communication, vocabulary, and what I call starting a sentence with a sentence. And this is what I do for a living. That was smooth as silk right there. Did you guys catch all of that? That was slick. I like that. Um, Kapu, do you have any immediate questions on this subject or uh, any thoughts? I, well, I have so many, but I don't know where to start. And every time I hear Amy's long, long resume, I'm like, wow, she's really done it all. Yeah. But um, do you want to kind of tell, start, so you just said starting a sentence with a sentence. Do yes. you want to go into that a little more? Because I feel like a lot of times um, you just keep going around in the same circle. Looping. I know I can do that when I talk um, and just, can you go into that a little more for us? I think a lot happens in our brains when we're unsure about what we want to say. So training our brain to think what it is I'm about to say, what is my main message? And this can start happening in rapid time. Our brains are amazing at what they can learn to do. That I know, all right, what is my message right now? How do I start this off? When we forget to pause in between, or we're so busy overthinking is when the, um, so, uh, because we're trying to catch our words. 
And a lot of times, as even as I discussed with the team I was with yesterday, we're afraid of the silence in between. But what's amazing is that silence in between allows our listener to catch up with us, to dissect what it was we just shared, to understand, is this something I want to know or do I want to toss it? Every moment when someone's speaking with us, we're choosing what information we're taking in and what we're tossing out. Are we listening to respond or react? Do we have something that we can bring to that part of the conversation? So the more we as the one conversing, if I'm leading the conversation, I want to make sure that I'm choosing words that are clear and articulate, that I'm stopping. And if I don't know something, I'm going to pause between. Actually, yes, I would like to discuss that part of the subject. What we're going to do is blah, 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 blah. Allowing my brain to be calculated, training my brain and it, and it, works by doing it all the time. We can't just do it when we're on a podcast like this. We can't just do it when we're practicing to present in front of our classroom or in front of an audience, where we practice our talking points and we stand in front of the mirror. What has to be done is it has to become a part of who we are. So that I know if I'm in a casual conversation with friends or loved ones, that the way I speak is no different than when we're on this right now. I have to be cohesive all the time. And what it does is it allows me to be a more effective communicator and it allows for less conflict. There's not the misunderstandings. You know what my intention is, what my face is saying, what my body is saying is matching what my words are saying. And a lot of times without self-awareness, we're seeing a huge disconnect and the messages aren't aligning and we watch relationships dwindle or businesses maybe not having that impact that they, they need to have. Great. And I know you have a lot of questions to ask, Amy. Do you want to take a turn? Um, see, there was an um right there. I'm not counting. I'm not counting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, well, I'm trying to frame the question in a way that actually has value. And I think I'm mm -hmm. trying to connect it back to young people. So when we're dealing with young people it, communicating, they learn a lot of information in high school and college. I'm not sure that they learn how to communicate effectively with mm -hmm. adults. I'm curious what you might recommend to a young person yeah. who has to do that. It's not. Yeah. Let me just put it there and then I'll follow up with that. I like what that. Yeah. Hello to Guy Brown. No, one of our former guests is on here today. He just said that also breaks rapport. So thank you so much for coming in and making a comment. We're excited to have you back. Hey, Guy. For young adults. If we don't start practicing this with each other, and I know that's asking a lot because the problem is we are definitely living on our techs. We're living with our technology. So we're not practicing our communications. We're answering each, with each other with, yeah, uh-huh, and things like that. What we have to do is take that time to challenge each other on how we're communicating. Even if it's just a small block of time when you're with your circle, make an accountability group. Will you help me? Let's do some dialogue together. Let's practice because what's going to happen is you're going to be speaking with your professors probably even more as you get into these upper education years that you're going to need some really good insight. You're going to need their support. You're going to want recommendations. And if you walk up and you're timid and your body language is timid, um, so please, can we, we have to practice this. I had the beautiful privilege of hosting or judging for a beauty pageant recently for part of Miss California. And I loved all of the girls, they were brilliant, amazing, remarkable, wonderful young women. But there was a difference between those that went up to that interview time and was able to articulate 
and speak comfortably. Their body language was comfortable. They were engaged with that eye contact. And there was a couple of them that started every sentence with, um, so, okay, yeah, and then answered their question. We have to practice taking those out. So even as a young adult without the accountability, when you're in your phone calls, your conversations, talking to yourself in the car, start catching yourself. How am I starting sentences? Where am I? Where is it coming from? What is my main message? What is it I'd like to say? And start practicing the art of putting your own thoughts together in a cohesive way and saying them out loud to yourself, because that kind of practice is going to make perfect. I love that. I was thinking about uh, a family friend of mine who was telling my wife and I about her daughter being, you know, at a young age, three or four, you know, shy and not able to engage, not forget adults, just people in her own age group. And then today, if she's 11, so if you talk to her now, you're having a conversation with a small adult. Uh, and I, I say that to make an ex just ask this question, what role do parents have in helping their kids at early ages to be in a position where they can be comfortable having adult conversations? We have to think about speaking with our young ones about the fact that we are raising many adults. Hopefully the way that I've spoken with my children all these years has prepared them for adulthood, preparing them for life. We do it with everything else, right? We tell them don't walk in front of the street with the traffic moving. Be careful, stranger danger, all the things that we're protecting them from. Do your homework, have good habits, brush your teeth, comb your hair. When are we going to start modeling respectful conversation, even with my own children. If my daughter yells from the upstairs, hey, mom, I do not yell back. Yeah, what? What do you want? No, you I'm text them. <laughs> no, I don't do that either. No, sometimes it was necessary. But if I am verbally responding, I say, yes, honey, is there something I can do for you? Yeah. Showing, I show respect to my children. Do you have a minute? Is this a good time for you? There's something I'd like to discuss. Taking that time to model what it is we want them to learn, because guess what they're going to learn as well? We have to have that responsibility of doing that. It's my responsibility to model conflict resolution. I have four grown children that I birthed, and they are going to kill each other if I don't model healthy conflict resolution between them. And getting in those conversations and saying, no, we're going to use our words. No, let's look at the underneath root of this. What your brother's actually really saying is A, B, or C. So can you see it from that perspective and come out of your own ego and maybe match that? Realize this is your little brother that's asking for this attention right now, not something you think he said to trigger you. So taking a look at how you can model that and those healthy communications. And guess where that's going to trickle into? It's going to go into your workplace. It's going to go into your life, into your collaborations, into your cohorts. I cannot be one person in one setting and not in the other. We think that we can have a work personality and a home personality, and that's just not the case. And our resting faces and our engagement and our eye contact and our body language, it all has to model that. And you know when you see that person that walks in the room that they have that. We've all seen it. We've seen those speakers that get up and they can just kind of have that command presence. Well, one common thing is that each one of those individuals probably also had that insecurity years before. We all have to overcome those insecurities and the self-awareness is the biggest way to do that. Learning what my face and body are doing, learning to get comfortable with finding my words. I'm not afraid to speak because I know I've trained my brain to be more efficient at doing it. Yeah, I love that statement about 
what you do in your private life, the way you communicate isn't going to be indicative of how you communicate in your public life or your professional yes. life. And being prepared to be on stage is a huge thing. I would also add that um, if you're, if you're, I, I'm in a situation now where I'm transitioning careers, right? Yes. And people ask me what I do. I always use that as an opportunity to practice. Yes. So when I get when I get on stage to do a presentation or if I'm in a position where I'm going to raise capital, that story has been worked on. So yeah. I use that platform in a place where I want to see how it resonates, how it sounds, what's the feedback so that you can go, okay, I like that. I don't like this. And then you can tell when it doesn't resonate. You know when it doesn't, doesn't land. Impact because there's nothing coming back to you. There that's is right. no, oh, wow, that's really awesome. Oh, tell me more about that. If it's like, oh, okay. And then they move on, you have to adjust that story or you need to change that presentation. Yes. I wanted to um, I want to give you an so example. Powerful. And I think uh, it, it might resonate with both of you. I had the privilege of being able to see Magic Johnson speak. And the only reason I went to this conference in Los Angeles was to see Magic Johnson speak. And he was a great speaker. But the guy who went on before him, I never heard of. And he came on stage and he rocked that joint. Like he had people like, it was almost like a revival. People are like, hey, hallelujah. And what was interesting about it is it was a pitch fest. He, they, other speakers were selling yeah. things. And he, on this piece of paper for his thing, it started like, it was like $25,000. And I look at that, I'm like, try and give it anybody 25 grand. So he gets to the end of his presentation and it was so compelling. He's like, I know on the paper it says 25,000, but it's not 25,000 today. It's 12,500. And Amy, people started to get up out of their chairs. I was on the second level and his table was on the first and people were going down not to leave, but to buy. Wow. And he goes, but it's, it gets better. It's not 12,005 today. It's 7,500. And I, to myself was like, stop talking. You already have them. Stop talking. It's not 7,500 today. It's 3,750. And I thought to myself, you did the job. Why are you selling yourself short? Right. So I'm kind of curious in communication, that was a long way to get to this question. In communication, <laughs> presentation, selling, when do you, where's that line between I want to just sell something versus allowing the way you presented sell itself where price almost doesn't matter? Do you have a thought on that or how those two worlds might collide and you can kind of mess yourself up and sure. start giving away stuff you shouldn't be giving away? I always look to that audience engagement and watching my audience. I do a lot of public speaking in front of large audiences. Now, I'm not necessarily selling with that strategy from the stage, but nonetheless, I'm selling myself up there. I'm maybe just selling my knowledge, opportunity to work with me, opportunity to take those things back into their own nonprofits or businesses, watching the audience and feeling that response. You know when they're tracking with you. If you look at that audience in any time, if you're in front of your classroom or you're in front of you know, a lecture hall and you have to present just your paper, watch and see what's taking place. And if you notice you're losing them, then you want to lean in, maybe articulate a little bit differently, slow down, get to your better talking points, make a shift, be ready to make those shifts based on what your audience is telling you. When you find that sweet spot that you're, you, I know they're with me, then I don't need to change a thing. 
then I can go into that zone and I don't need to oversell. I just know that they're there. And that is sometimes a moment by moment thing that's happening from the stage. And I have that when I'm performing, when I'm doing music or when I'm speaking, I am watching that audience because generally it's interesting. You'll notice that about 80% of your audience are reacting the same way. There's always going to be the scragglers. There's going to be the grumpy guy in the back of the room or the one that's fighting with his spouse <laughs> off in the corner. You know, you're going to have the scragglers that aren't in the norm. But generally, about 80% of them are feeling the same thing with you if you're setting that correctly. I know that I'm responsible to set that energy from the stage. That's my responsibility. It. And if it's not there, then I need to do something to reset it. Capri, you have another question? I have one more and then we can bounce. Yeah, right. it's about body language. And I think you kind of started moving into that. Um, you've also talked about active listening. Can you talk about how much of a role body language actually plays and then some ways to make sure that you're displaying the right body language, like what that looks like? Wow, body language and active listening is so important. Have you ever been having a conversation with somebody and they're so distracted, you just know they're not there. Yeah. And at that point, I'll, I'll stop been talking. that person. Yes. I will stop talking. <laughs> I'll realize maybe this isn't the right time for them because I always say it's not a message if it wasn't received. So if I'm trying to give a That's message great. and that person is not in a place of receivership at that moment, then this is not a good time. So watching and seeing, am I, am I engaging them in a way that they are with me? And it could be on anything. It could be a personal relationship that you're trying to talk about something important. It could just be that you walked in the room to share a funny story, but you didn't know that everybody was just discussing that the cat had died, right? So you have to learn to that maybe this isn't a good time. You're going to know that body language and watching that other person. Now, as the one who's the listener, it's my job to make sure that I'm showing you I'm receptive to what you're sharing, saying. I want to give eye contact. I want to nod. I want to have distractions aside. If I do, if something throws me off real quick, I say, I'm so sorry. I just noticed on the side that I think my mom just walked in. I need to be alert to that. But I'm going to draw attention to show that I'm acknowledging I got distracted. I'm right back with you. Please continue. It is our responsibility to verbally and non-verbally show someone who's speaking with us. And even if I'm the one sitting in an audience with a speaker, I know that my face is giving them affirmation, my eyes, my smile. When I when I look in an audience, if somebody's speaking, I see everybody on their cell phones or looking down. I know that poor speaker has already lost them. And it's my job <laughs> to show respect to the speaker that I'm showing that I'm listening and engaged because I know what it feels like to be up there. And I think even in one-on-one, -on -one, we can show that to each other. And I think with today's technology, I love our technology. Don't get me wrong. We have amazing tools at our fingertips that I can't live without and do my business. However, when it's time, to be 100% all in, like right now with you. I'm looking in this camera so you know I'm looking in your eyes. I am engaged here with our audience and I want you to know I'm 100% here. We have to do the same thing with each other. And when we block out and we give each other that kind of quality respect, it's amazing how your networking, your relationships, and the quality of your communications will instantly increase. Wow, that's great advice, thanks. It's fun work. I did a workshop yesterday. It was a wonderful company that I was able to work with the top managers of this large corporation. And it is surprising to me how many individuals maybe don't practice this on a daily basis, or some of this maybe was new information because we get so stuck in our own lives and our own stuff that we're not realizing that maybe we're unapproachable. And what does that look like? Maybe I'm showing that mm -hmm. I'm distracted. Maybe and one, one individual even was really funny, just said, well, I purposely look busy so nobody will bother me. Well, at least he knew he's <laughs> 
And I said, at least you're admitting and you know you're doing it. So, okay, that's great. But what if you don't know you're doing that? And then you wonder why you're missing opportunities. Oh, well, nobody wants to talk to me. I don't have any friends or I'm not getting any opportunities. What is it you're projecting? Because maybe that shift could also open up more opportunities for social engagement or opportunities that you need for your work or your life. Um, Can you... Do you have any advice about or like steps to take to look more approachable? Because oftentimes you said it like, oh, maybe I'm holding my phone in my hand or like I have my head down and I'm working. Like what are some ways that you can become more approachable or appear more approachable? It all comes down to the self-awareness, learning yourself. And you can do that by putting a mirror in front of you more often when you are in a communication setting, which the best way to do that is if you're on the phone or in a Zoom meeting. Notice what you look like when you're listening. I mean, we've all been on a million Zooms and we know what some of those tiles look like. We've seen what some of those active listening faces are saying and aren't saying. So learning what it is you're saying when you're in that situation. And the only way you can do that is by watching yourself. You may find out you have a natural scowl and you didn't even know it. So now you're unapproachable. We don't know what our faces are doing unless we learn to memorize them because we're looking out our eyes and not in. Taking the time to actually do a self-study. Watch your videos back. If you're taking, we're all on on Instagram all the time. We're all doing selfies. We're all doing videos. Watch it back. What do you look like? What are you presenting? Ask somebody else to be an accountability partner with you and say, can we level this up? If you don't practice, you can't be a champion in this. Great. Ed? I'm listening. I'm putting things in my brain. Um, so when I used to present back in the day, uh, much younger, it was always about information going out. Yes. Usually there's a PowerPoint presentation. And, you know, when you first start to present, you I don't know about you, Amy, you've been on a stage performing, mm-hmm. you've done these presentations. Whether, you know, when you don't know your material, you're just getting started, you're going to be a little nervous, a little apprehensive. Um, obviously, preparation is huge mm-hmm. in that regard. Huge. Um, but as I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've seen a, a bit of a transition um, in that participation with the audience, getting them engaged and involved in the conversation is now the new yes. presentation, if you will. Um, can you talk briefly about why that's so important not to speak at people for 30 or 45 minutes right. or an hour versus getting them involved in the dialogue and the and how do you go about doing that? Right. Human nature. None of us want to be talked at for an hour. We all want to feel like we're a part of the experience, whether it's a learning experience, it's a fun experience. We want to share an experience as humans. That's what we're looking for. So as a presenter, yes, you're right, Ed, know your material. I come in knowing my material and ready to adapt it. Every presentation I do with the same slides is a little bit different because Mm. I'm reading my audience. I open up with engaging questions. Who in here has ever? And I, and I come in throughout the presentation of asking questions, show of hands, asking volunteers. If it's a smaller group, we're going to do workshop. I'm going to ask for feedback right there. Then we get back on point because sometimes I'll see that this particular audience is needing something just a little bit more in this category. And I'm going to make that adjustment to stay in that category and maybe weed out some of the other category because they'll tell you, and they want to be a part of this experience with you. So together, this is this is working. And at the end, say, was this helpful? Did, did you all have some takeaways? And I reiterate those. We're all going to do this, this, and this. 
Is this helpful for your life and your business? Please reach me afterwards for questions so that it's, it's an engaging experience. And I think we get a lot more real authentic responses when we do it that way. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all of our guests, a uh, mentor, well, who was one of the most powerful and influential people you engage with on this journey? Oh goodness. There's been, that's a tough one, Ed. That really is. I would say that my work with the American veterans was the biggest eye opener for me because mm -hmm. it wasn't just me on a stage singing or performing. It wasn't just business settings. Prior to that, I had had all mortgage and real estate and business interactions, but when you put something that's like, oh my goodness, these are Vietnam veterans, which was mostly what I was working with. When you put the heart into that and you realize there's a huge why that what we're doing out here is saving lives, preventing suicide, saying thank you for a living. I think that the passion element really brought out so much more powerful intent for what I was doing. And what I've been able to do from that experience 15 years ago is take that same passion and intent into everything else that I'm doing. That was an anchor point for me that taught me to put so much more heart and so much more why. When I stand in front of any group, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching or like I did yesterday in a workshop format, I say, I want to explain to you first who I am, what brought me here and why I'm so passionate about what I do today. Why I'm so excited to share with you today and have these experiences with you today. Setting up the stage that I love what I do and why I love what I do endears that audience to understand that I'm not just up there bored throwing something at them, but yeah. I'm here to share with them. But the work with the veterans changed my life. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So, Capri, I'm going to ask you a question adjacent to um, mm -hmm. Amy's you know, career path that she's on now. Yeah. How did you develop the skills to present? Like when you're in high school and you have to do a report, when you're presenting to other young people or adults, where did you, how did you develop that skill? I think I developed it a couple different ways. The first way that I remember was in my elementary slash middle school, we had a speech competition that you had to participate in every year from fifth grade to um, eighth grade. And it wasn't, it was pretty low stakes. Like you just wrote your speech and then you gave it in front of your class, which was about 20 people. Um, and at the end of that, each class voted two people to go do it in front of the whole school essentially and so every year we kind of just had practice doing that and it was something that everyone knew was coming and some people dreaded it some people didn't as much but we put lots of practice and time and just effort into making sure that we knew how to present ourselves well especially in public speaking which I really appreciated and then also in high school I was part of two different leadership councils, one through the Carlsbad Education Foundation and another through the Mitchell Sports Foundation. And both of those, um, we got to kind of create the curriculum or like suggest what we wanted to learn about. And um, one of those main points each year was public speaking and how to be mm -hmm. a good communicator. And it clearly holds value and is very important. So of course we received lots of guidance about it. Oh, see, there you go. It's it's getting out of a comfort zone, applying mm -hmm. yourself, learning what you're doing. That's awesome. Um, Amy, um, this is for you. Capri, you can jump in on it too. Yeah. In terms of, back to the young people, in terms of getting out of that comfort zone, we talked about preparation being important, but 
what else can they do if they've got a presentation coming up or they recognize that they're timid and shy and they want to work on that? What would be the advice you both would give somebody in that situation? I would first of all advise that they record themselves doing it. Watch it back. Get comfortable with how they look and how they present and make honest assessment of themselves. Because when you watch yourself do it a few times, then you're familiar with what you look like and how you represent it. And it's a lot less scary because it is. If you're an introvert and this is really new, I love Ed, you pointed out, be prepared with your material. The more you know your material, the easy it is because you're not going to fumble. Enough is going to throw you off with the nerves. So really be prepared on your talking points. Then practice it with yourself. Record yourself. Watch it back. Record yourself. Watch it back. Now you've done that training. And I share this story from every stage. And I have to say it's really the most powerful words that I can use on a regular basis to make this point. Coach John Robinson is an incredible incredible football coach. He took USC to championship year after year, the LA Rams. And in the last years, he's still the head coach advisor for LSU. He's in his eighties, an amazing historically champion breeding coach. And I asked him, coach, why is it important that the athletes watch the tape? He said, Amy, they learn the game from the tape. Mm. They learn the plays from the tape. They're not allowed on the field until they've memorized the tapes because watching the tape creates champions. And that is true in anything in our life. If we watch the tape, if we study ourselves, if we gain that self-awareness, we can become a champion in anything we want to do. And confidence in presenting ourselves is a key component to success in any industry. If you're going to be in the medical field, if you're going to be a support person, IT, stocks, whatever it is you're going to do, you still have to effectively communicate with other humans to set yourself apart, even to get the job, let alone be excellent at it. Watch that tape. It will create that champion in what you're doing. I love that piece of advice. Capri, any thoughts on that question? Well, mine seems much smaller in comparison to what Amy just said, but I'd say the three things are start early, get feedback, and tell yourself that you can do it. The more time you give yourself to prepare, obviously the better you're going to know it. And you can do all the things Amy just said, watch it back. You can record, you can listen, learn how you present. And if you need to memorize it, of course, starting early really helps that. So you're not feeling rushed and then ask others for feedback. Cause I know sometimes it's really hard to see things that I'm doing, mm-hmm. not necessarily wrong, but I could be doing a lot better and it sticks out easily to others. Just having that outside perspective and just tell yourself that you know you can do it. If you've put in all the effort and you've put in the time, the practice, then your brain knows what to do by the time you need to present, and it's all there. Yes, That's so awesome. well said, Capri. That was excellent. I, I will say, I'll just add this couple of things. One, um, I've said this before, and I think it, it bears repeating get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And Start as early and as young as you can, because the longer you wait, the harder it's going to get. Yes. And I love that idea of recording and watching or recording and listening. My brother-in-law does some public speaking and I asked him his process and I'm 54 years old and I asked Ah. people their process and I asked him his process. He says, I break it into five minute pieces Yes. and then I record it and I drive around listening to it. Yeah. I think that's huge because I, I have a hard time with memorization. And then I'll add, if you find that that's you, 
then I would say work off an outline. Don't try to write a manuscript because now not only are you tied to it, if you miss something or you get off track, trying to get back on track and being mm -hmm. like, like, you know what you're doing, you're going to get in a major, you know, major yeah. problem. Bullet so, points are always the best. Yeah. I'm a big bullet point person. I'm a big outline person. Get familiar with the concept and the words will come if you practice mm -hmm. like Capri said. So I loved all of these pieces of advice. I think communication is essential. The younger you start on that mm -hmm. road and that path, the better you're going to do in personal relationships, professional yes. relationships, all of those things that come through communication. Mm -hmm. And if you're not good at it, you're going to have challenges. So please start early. Um, I love the advice that Capri gave Amy. Yes. That was spot on for you as well. Well, we did such a great job. We're at over 45 minutes. I mean, come Sorry. on, how great is that? <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think the thing I have to work on, if I have to have a confession, is the resting bee face. Like my face. I wasn't going to say anything. Well, it's usually because I'm listening and I want to like my everything so I, just kind of zones right. down. I call it the active face. listening face is what I real I call it the active listening oh active listening yeah. face. What is your face saying when you're active listening and <laughs> yeah. finding that awareness so you can hold your face in a, a more engaging or lifted position while you're yeah. actively listening can make a difference. Yeah, my wife says I can never read you, and I'm like I don't want you to read me. <laughs> That's the whole point. But nevertheless, I'm aware of it, and it's something I have to continually w work on. So, Amy, when you see it, don't be afraid to uh, to point it out. I'm not. Uh, I know what my strengths and my challenges are. That's one of them for sure. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you, Joanne and Guy, for being with us today. They had some great comments in the chat. Everybody can check those out later. We always appreciate the audience and the feedback, and really good stuff. So I butchered the conclusion of this last week. So let me start with the good stuff first. This is a great episode. If you like it, give us a thumbs up. If you love it, share it. If you find it compelling, interesting, subscribe so you can get our insights from not only our, as hosts, but as guests and the, the guests that we get on. And I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite things every single week. And so on behalf of Capri guest, Amy guest, Capri host, Amy host, I'm Ed Sanderson. This has been your Education, Career, and Beyond podcast.